Hi everyone, and welcome to a new series of Joe Bates Explains It All. The show where I, Joe Bates, provide short guides to everything you need to know about anything. It's no coincidence that I'm back on the same day the World Cup begins. This was originally going to be a one-off, hard-hitting report into the dark side of the tournament. However, recently, the Qatar government has started paying fans to talk positively about the World Cup. It was great timing because I've been trying to be a more positive person generally, and producing yet another woke media piece about migrants dying seemed like the actions of a hater. Plus, the money was a definite incentive to change my narrative. Do I need it? Maybe not, but as David Beckham says, just because I don't need money doesn't mean I don't want money. Where is the money? Give it, give it now, give me. To cut a long story short, the Qatari government has given me enough money to fly out to Qatar and produce a whole new series of the show. So in the next few weeks, you can look forward to episodes such as Joe Bates explains why human rights are an outdated concept and Joe Bates explains why you should never explore your sexuality. But we're starting, of course, with the World Cup. So welcome to Qatar, the home of this year's World Cup. I've just arrived, I'm in my hotel room, and wow, this place is hot. Been a lot of talk about strict laws on gay people in Qatar. But once you're here, it doesn't seem like as much of an issue, because it's too hot to have sex with anyone here, let alone a member of the same gender. In this heat, I've barely got enough energy to shake a man's hand. Now, I'm recording this before the first game takes place. Uh, You'll already know the result by now. But I hope the Qataris smash the Ecuadorians come. If anyone deserves it, it's the Qataris. You can see in the streets, they're football mad here. Everywhere you go, you see crowds of people doing classic football chants like World Cup, World Cup, and please don't take away our passports. Like, football is the Qataris' bread and butter. Or as the saying goes here, they're gas and oil. But as much as I want Qatar to do well, obviously, I want England to do weller. I'm the biggest England fan since Enoch Powell. There are free lines not just on my shirt, but on every single item of clothing that I own. That's over 230 lions in total. Each set represents a part of England that I'm proud of. The free lines on my green jumper represent King Charles. The free lines on one of my ties represents our dry sense of humour. And don't tell the authorities, but the free lions I've added to my official Qatar government supporter t-shirt that I'm wearing now represent the concept of the sesh, a big part of being an England fan. These are particularly poignant lions here because it's true that during this World Cup, England fans don't have the same access to liquids and powders that power their amazing support. In the fan zones, you can buy pints of Brewdog Lager for £22, and you can even buy official Qatar World Cup MCAT. But outside of the fan zones, you can't really drink and party in the same way you can at most World Cups. However, it's not too much to ask in return for a World Cup that features some of the best air conditioning I've ever felt. We've got to accept that this is a religious country, and in the Quran it says you shouldn't drink. But don't get too upset, because do you know what else it says in the Quran? It's It says that football is coming home.
apologies, I've been asked to point out that it definitely doesn't say football is coming home in the Quran. It turns out that the version of the Quran that I've been reading is an unofficial version that was written by Stuart Pearce to coincide with Euro 96. I'd always wondered why he was the subject of a fatwa. Just to make clear, I'm not a theologian, I'm just a football fan. And that's a reason I'm really happy that it's here in Qatar. We're going to have a short musical break and then I'm going to talk a bit more about why Qatar was given the World Cup and why I think it's the best place for it. Why Qatar was given the World Cup A lot of people are upset about Qatar being awarded the World Cup. The cynics said that a boiling hot country the size of Peterborough, but with no football stadiums, didn't seem the right place for a tournament, which is mostly centred around football stadiums. It made people even more suspicious when you look at the other countries that were chosen at the same time. At that FIFA event in 2010 when it was all announced, not only did it say that Qatar would get it in 2022, that's when it was announced that in 2018 the World Cup would take place in Russia and in 2026 the tournament is going to take place in Mordor. Obviously since that point Qatar have done really well and built a load of football stadiums uh, and that was all very straightforward. But how did all these places end up being given the World Cup in the first place? Some naysayers have said it points to corruption. But this seems a bit simplistic. Sure, maybe if every single member of the FIFA executive committee who made the decision to award Russia and Qatar the World Cup had been banned from football for life because of impropriety, you might have a case, but only 16 of them have. And although Russia and Qatar have the money to bribe FIFA, they're both countries famed for playing by the rules. The very idea of Russia doing something that wasn't by the book seems like a really hilarious joke. And as for Qatar, you can see their fairness and generosity by the fact that they're possibly going to give £500 to literally thousands of families who've had a loved one die whilst working on the stadiums. So if these countries didn't get the World Cup because of their money, there must have been another big reason. And I know why that is. Because football can bring about change. Qatar isn't perfect, but by bringing the World Cup to Qatar, we can make progress. Because football brings about progress. Nowhere was that clearer than in the 1966 World Cup. In 1966, England won the World Cup. In 1967, homosexuality was legalised. Coincidence? No. England players winning the World Cup convinced the country that anything was possible, even same-sex attraction. But it was actually in a much more direct way that the England victory in 1966 made homosexuality legal. Before England hosted the World Cup in 1966, they'd never won a tournament. The reason was there was no incentive. Football wasn't anywhere near as rich as it is now. The majority of football players had to leave the stadium after 45 minutes of the game to do a shift down the mines, which is why half-time used to be eight hours long. Up until 1962, players had to make their own shoes, and in the 1966 World Cup itself, Eight matches were postponed because none of the players had remembered to bring a ball. The poverty of the game back then meant there was no financial reward for winning, so the players were offered more symbolic incentives. 
Before the 1958 World Cup, the players were told that they would be given honours by the Queen if they won the tournament. But this didn't impress some of the players. As Bobby Charlton said at the time, an OBE won't buy me a pint of mild and a bowl of mince, referring to the meal footballers used to eat before a match. The promise of honours didn't work. In 1958, the team didn't win a single match. The Queen was so shocked at the players' disrespect of royal honours that it took her until 2022 to process what had happened and as soon as she did, she died of anger. In 1962, it was clear a different approach was needed. It was therefore decided that if the players won the World Cup, they would be rewarded with sex, which had only recently been invented and still had a bit of a buzz around it. If victorious, England players would be allowed to have sex with any woman in the country, whilst the women's husband stood by the bed and shouted popular football phrases like Go on my son and switch it. This of course was providing the woman showed their willingness by standing on their doorstep and singing the national anthem. But in a contemporary survey in the magazine Grazia, which back then was just called Thanks, most women said they probably would do this. In the end though, the promise of this reward wasn't tempting enough to the players to get them to win the tournament. Sex with women was something available to them anyway. Most had wives or girlfriends at home, apart from Alan Ball, who was, and still is, a stupid little virgin. But the promise of sex had got England all the way to the quarter-finals. Therefore, in 1966, it was decided that if they won the World Cup, the England players would be allowed to have sex with any woman or man in the country. Whilst some of the England players weren't gay, they all recognised this as a rare opportunity to do something other people in the country weren't legally allowed to do, and to keep fit in the process. And the results speak for themselves. With that incentive in their mind, England won the World Cup for the first and only time in their history. Afterwards, as expected, they went up and down the country having sex with hundreds of thousands of men who were more than willing to oblige even if they weren't gay either because they were also able to get their photo taken with the World Cup as part of the deal. But whilst the players themselves were able to have sex with thousands of men without getting arrested, the men who they had sex with were still subject to the laws of the land and this created a problem. By 1967, around 40% of working age men had committed the crime of sodomy with an England player and the courts faced a huge backlog. This meant they couldn't deal with the other crimes in the 60s, which were all olden day crimes like being a cheeky bleeder or not being white. The only way to deal with the backlog in the courts was to make homosexuality legal. While this has been terrible for the success of the England team, who haven't won a single tournament since the reward of being the only people allowed to have gay sex was taken away from them, it's been good for the country and homosexuality has been legal ever since. Personally, I think something very similar is going to happen in Qatar. Maybe it won't play out exactly like that, but by bringing the World Cup to Qatar, the World Cup will show that change is possible. Maybe when Harry Kane goes down with cramp after 10 minutes in the first game, the Qatari government will zoom in 
on their TV and see the one millimetre rainbow on his shirt and realise gay rights are the way forward. David Beckham has been criticised for being an ambassador for the World Cup but he has hinted at some point he'll do a little thumbs up which will be meant as a symbol to the bereaved families of migrant workers to keep fighting the good fight and that he'll be on their side if they put enough money together to pay him to be. However, some people have pointed out that using football to bring about progress has backfired in the past. In 2018, Russia hosted the World Cup and it went so well that it gave Vladimir Putin the confidence to invade Ukraine. He genuinely thought the world would enjoy it as much as they enjoyed the World Cup, but it so far has been nowhere near as popular or watchable. Just this year, the England Lioness has won the Euros and it got everyone so high on feminist energy that Liz Truss was made Prime Minister. She then destroyed the economy so much that a bunch of Tories now have no choice but to impose a load of spending cuts to public services, even though they really don't want to. Thanks a lot for that, lionesses. So there is a fear from some that maybe the tournament won't bring about change. Maybe if the tournament goes really well, Qatar will feel vindicated and people will think that as it was such a good tournament, it was worth all the death. Maybe that is the case, but even if it is, does it really matter? After all, at the end of the day, the World Cup isn't about politics or human rights. It's about football. It's about supporting your favourite team. I think I've made clear already that it's good that Qatar has the World Cup. But if you weren't convinced by that first half, and you're still worried about Qatar's human rights record, I've got one bit of advice. Don't worry about it. It seems like there's been so much talk of human rights before this World Cup that we've forgotten about what's important. Football. Football is the greatest game in the world, and the World Cup is football in its purest, uncut form. Even people who don't like football have got to shut up and admit that the World Cup is great. Not only is it the best players of the best game going head-to-head, it's also a chance to learn about different cultures. If it wasn't for the World Cup, I'd have had no idea that Senegal play in a green kit. It's also a chance for countries to play out their rivalries in a safe way. For instance, in the 70s and 80s, the US national soccer team had surprising victories over every South American team after getting rid of their managers and putting in place people who had let the US win. And in 1986, the Israel football team got a victory over Palestine by default when they locked the Palestinian team in the dressing room without adequate food and water. And because their issues were sorted out on the pitch, it meant that all these countries were able to coexist peacefully. The World Cup is when I feel the most patriotic. When England got to a major final for the first time in my lifetime in the Euros last year, I was so happy and emotional. I definitely would have cried if I wasn't on antidepressants. As it was, I just felt quite content. Then when we scored, a random old man came up and hugged me in the pub. And a week later to the day, I got Covid. I was happy to pay that price though. But then there was the aftermath of that first England final, which was painful. Of course, I knew that the world of football fans has a dark side. I've known this from the age of six, when I went to a Middlesbrough away match in a car full of my dad's friends. One of them successfully blamed one of their farts on me. But even with these low expectations, I, and many others, have still felt a sense of shame being an England fan before. Never more so when last year there was that horrific racism directed at the black English players, after the final.
But as people said at the time, those racists don't represent England as a country. It's those amazing, inspirational football players who represent England as a country. I choose to believe that, even though I've lived in England all my life and it feels like I've met more racists than footballers. You may remember that many of the players released brilliant, inspirational messages condemning the racism after all that happened, but the one that I'll remember forever is Harry Maguire's, because it's still on Twitter, providing Twitter still exists when this goes out. Harry Maguire's statement reads as follows. Thank you, England. You cheered your heart out. Now, eat your heart out. Get a free taco today at Taco Bell UK. That statement reminds me that we need to ignore all the politics and the fuss about Qatar and get behind the World Cup because maybe the World Cup won't solve the human rights issues. Maybe in fact it'll make them much worse because the world has validated Qatar and their way of running their country. But it doesn't matter, we'll see some great football, we'll have a chance to get behind our team and maybe, just maybe, we'll get another 2 for 1 offer at Taco Bell. So I think that's sorted, I've explained why the World Cup is fine, so we've got a little bit of extra time here for some betting tips. Uh, my number one betting tip is to never actually go into a betting shop. There's a reason no betting advert would ever show you the inside of one, because they're places of harsh light and undiluted sadness. The only time you should go into a betting shop is on a first date, because if you can manage to enjoy yourself with someone in a betting shop, that shows you'll be able to enjoy yourself anywhere with them, and you should probably get married. My two tips for actual World Cup bets would be one that's being offered at Ladbrokes. They're offering odds of 20 to 1 that David Beckham and Gary Neville will successfully just ignore people telling them they're wrong to take Qatari money and they'll soon be treated like national treasures as if nothing ever happened. I think that's a good bet. The news cycle moves very quickly. And anyway, who are we to judge where people get their money in a cost of living crisis? And the second bet is a 4-1 to one from Paddy Power that if the opening ceremony is good, then people will forget about all the bad stuff related to Qatar and just enjoy the tournament. That's definitely a safe bet, because remember London 2012? That opening ceremony was so good, it made us all forget that we were being led by a man addicted to cutting disability benefits and having sex with pigs. In many ways, Danny Boyle is completely responsible for the last nine years of Tory government. But I think it's all been worth it for that bit with James Bond and the Queen. And that's the end of Joe Bates Explains Football, our guide to the Qatar World Cup. Thank you to the Qatari government for funding this episode and for generally just being a great bunch of lads. I'll be back next week with a travel show. Join me for Joe Bates Explains Why Your Next Holiday Destination Should Be Doha. See you then. <laughs>